everyone, welcome back to Criminal Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Jade, and for listening to this, thank you so much. It means the absolute planet Earth to me, so thank you so much. I would like to know if I talk very fast. I have a very, I talk fast for no reason, and I have a very monotone voice. I was going to say monochromatic, but that isn't that like a color? I think it is, but... Besides the point, if you ever think, why is she talking so fast? I do talk fast. No idea why. But today we are going to be talking about the murder of Heather Rich. I do want to mention that this story does have mentions of suicide and sexual assault. So if you don't want to listen, I completely understand. So that is just a little warning for you guys. So let's get started. Heather Rich was born on January 19, 1980, in Warica, Oklahoma, to her parents Gail and Dwayne Rich. She was a third of four children and was the only daughter. She was a confident high school cheerleader and she had these beautiful blue-gray eyes. She had a bubbly personality and people enjoyed being around her. She had three brothers and all three of them played football. So, As what brothers usually do, they try to shield her away from boys as much as possible. She was a very smart girl. She always made the honor roll list. And her sophomore year, she was voted as class favorite. And days before she disappeared, she was voted for homecoming queen. One of Heather's friends said that even though she had this bubbly personality, she was a very troubled girl. On September 27th, she was suspended from school for being drunk while leading the team in chairs during a football game. She became moody and withdrawn at home and at school. Her father, Duane, was an electrician, and he nearly died when something that he was working on blew up and burned 65% of his body. He had to learn to walk again, and Heather would have to feed him and dress his wounds. Now, because of so much happening at home, she became distant from her parents. You know, her parents didn't really have time for her because her mom was taking care of her dad. Her mom also had to work long hours to make twice the money. She was the only person working in the house. She would have to cook, have to clean, and have to take care of the entire house and her family. And Gail said that, quote, I didn't give Heather the time she needed. I should have checked up on her instead of taking her word for it, end quote. And Heather started to harm herself. She would cut her legs with razors. Now, Warica, Oklahoma, I feel like every episode there is one place, it's either someone's last name or a location I cannot pronounce, but Warica, Oklahoma is a very rural town and it was the perfect town for Heather's parents. But Heather didn't enjoy it that much. Warica had no parks, no movie theaters, no cafes that were open late, and the nearest fast food place was in Comanche, Texas, which is 17 miles away. Her ex-boyfriend, Randy, says that, quote, she was always restless, she hated being bored, end quote. There would be nights where she would slip out of her bedroom window to smoke a cigarette. She would go out with her friends and set up a bonfire and drink and smoke weed, and that really was the only form of entertainment for them in a town that really had nothing that any teenager would enjoy. Gail, her mother, would talk about the male attention and how much Heather loved it. 
She said that she would always watch men her age flirt with her daughter, and Heather always assumed everyone had the best intentions. They had a rule for Heather when it came to dating, and it was that she could start dating once she turned 16. Heather had a box, and it was like a heart-shaped box, and in the box it was gum that she was chewing when she kissed boys with a list of the boys' names, kind of like proof for herself and just to keep those things as memories. She cared a lot about her parents, and I feel like, you know, what teenager doesn't care a lot about you know, their parents, they're starting to learn about themselves, learn about who they like, and all they want is to look good. So she would tweeze her eyebrows and wash her hair multiple times a day to get it how she wants it. And the summer before her eighth grade year, she would make herself vomit in order to control her weight because boys liked her body shape and she wanted to stay a certain size. So as I mentioned, or as you heard, um, Heather did have a boyfriend, which was Randy. So we're going to talk a little bit about him. So Randy was one of the poorest families in the town. He never knew his father and his mother did drugs. He started smoking weed in the third grade after stealing it from his mother. He was a running back for the Warica Eagles football team, and he was a well-respected person people like being around him. He was well-spoken and well-mannered. Gail talked about Heather and Randy's relationship, saying, quote, Heather befriended the underdogs. That's why she liked Randy. She felt sorry for him. She took him to church. She felt like Randy had never been given a chance, end quote. They dated for five months before breaking up, and the reason they broke up was because Randy heard a rumor that Heather went skinny dipping at a co-ed party, so Randy ended things, but they still remain really good friends. They had a low-key relationship. They, you know, they weren't the PDA type of couple, and it was to the point where Heather's family thought that they were just really good friends. They never thought that they were dating. Heather and Randy just love to sit and just talk for hours on end and Randy says that even after spending so much time with Heather and just talking it still felt like Heather could seem like a stranger quote I knew her but not like I wanted to not like I should have end quote within a week someone that they knew had committed suicide and because of the breakup and hearing about the suicide heather's behavior started to change on october 2nd 1996 gail came home and got in an argument with heather because the phone bill was $300 more than it usually is and they saw that heather was the reason from calling her friends from church texting and her mom got frustrated by this because they couldn't afford to pay the bill. Like I mentioned before, her father was injured on the job and her mother had to work 16 hours a day to make twice more money. On October 3rd, her mother went to wake her up for school, but she wasn't in her room. So the family went down to Jefferson County Sheriff's Department to report her missing. And right away, they didn't take it serious. Gail told them about the argument she had with Heather, and basically they said, oh, you know, she's probably just mad at you for the argument. She'll be back in a few hours. Just typical teenagers always do that. And I absolutely hate when 
police never take a missing person seriously just because of their age. Oh, teenagers can't go missing. You know, they always run away and they always come back. And I don't know why they think that because every teenager doesn't run away. There are teenagers that do go missing and parents know when something is wrong or something happened to their child. So it would behoove the police to do their job and not do everything based off of stereotypes. Quick little police rant. (laughs) So Gail knew that her daughter, Gail, you know, like I said, knew her daughter and she knew that she hadn't run away because she didn't take her makeup bag. She didn't take any clothes, like nothing was missing from her room. Nothing was taken. So she was planning on coming back. Several days later, Heather was still missing. A rancher and his seven-year-old granddaughter saw what looked like a body in the Belknap Creek in Texas. And his granddaughter kept saying that there's a body in the water. But the rancher didn't have his glasses on, so he couldn't see. To him, it looked like a dead cow was just in the water. When they went home, the granddaughter over and over kept saying that she saw a dead body in the water. The next day, the rancher went back out there to have a closer look, and then he found the body of Heather Rich. Heather had been shot in the back of the head with a shotgun, leaving her unrecognizable. Her father was able to identify her because she was given a gold signet ring for her 16th birthday, and they got official identification through dental records. The autopsy revealed that she was shot nine times with an M9 Winchester shotgun, one shot in the back of the head and the other eight in her lower back, waist, pelvis, and butt. The patterns of the bloodstain at the preliminary crime scene and the trajectory of the shotgun wounds indicated that Heather was laying face down when she was shot. So Heather's funeral took place on October 14, 1996, and they didn't know who did this to Heather. They didn't have any suspects. Heather's parents said that whoever did this to her wasn't a stranger. Heather's family didn't allow anyone to touch the coffin because she had promised her daughter that whoever did this to her would never touch her again. A murder investigation started right away and no one would talk. It's a small town and everyone knows everyone and no one wanted to be a snitch and talk. So weeks would go by and the police would follow up on different leads until they came across a credible lead. The FBI was brought in in the event of federal kidnapping charges against whoever the perpetrator or perpetrators were because Heather was brought across state lines against her will from Oklahoma to Texas. They then learned that Heather had snuck out to go hang out with Josh Bagwell. She did have a crush on Josh and Josh was Randy's best friend. So this part of the story is told from Randy's side because Later on, um, this is pretty much the closest that we're going to get to the truth as to what really happened that night. So, because there's multiple different sides of the story. So, they were at a trailer park near Josh's grandfather's house. Josh was already drinking with his friends, Curtis Gamble and Randy Wood. Shortly after Heather arrived, she and Josh wanted some alone time because it was their date night. Randy and Curtis left them alone for approximately one hour 
and when they came back, Josh was putting on his clothes while Heather was naked with an empty bottle of gin in the trailer. Heather was described as extremely drunk and later described as insensible. So she was just heavily intoxicated. She didn't know where she was anything. Josh later claimed that he and Heather had engaged in consensual sex. So, like I said, the way I'm telling the story, to make it more understandable for me and for you, this is told from Randy's perspective. Because throughout the whole case, he was the only one telling the truth. And um, then we'll get to Curtis and Josh's side of the story. And the only difference with their stories was who sexually assaulted her and who killed her. Randy would later say that, quote, three guys, all drunk and one naked female, they took advantage of her, end quote. Randy digitally penetrated her, and there's another word for it, but I'm not going to use it. Um, When I was reading this, it just broke my heart and it triggered me so much that I don't want to trigger you all, so I'm using the more professional term, if that makes any sense. Um, And Curtis went back in the trailer with just Heather in there and engaged in unconsensual sex. After that incident, all three boys continued drinking until they heard Heather screaming two times before she passed out again. Curtis was worried that when Heather woke up, she would say that they raped her, which they did. Curtis didn't want to be called a rapist, and it's like, all you have to do is not rape someone in order to not be called a rapist. It's like, don't kill someone and not expect to be called a murderer. Like, what? I don't... I don't know. Curtis told Josh to get the pickup truck. Randy got Heather dressed and took her to the pickup truck. They drove to Belknap Creek Bridge, all while Heather is still passed out, and according to Randy, Curtis was the one to shoot Heather nine times. Investigators discovered the gun used to murder Heather had distinct buttshock rounds. It's a very distinct brand, and not every gun store carries that brand. Only one store in Warika carried that brand, so investigators began talking to the store owner, and learned that days prior to the murder, Josh Bagwell purchased 20 rounds. The store owner that sold him the rounds was able to identify him in a police lineup. The store owner also said that Josh was accompanied by another young male, which was Curtis. On October 24th, all three boys were arrested. So, like I mentioned, I'm going to take you through each person's account so we all don't get confused. So we're going to start with Curtis, since we did Randy already. So they questioned Curtis for eight hours, and he agreed to do a polygraph test, which he failed. And he agreed to have the investigators take the shotgun into ballistic fingerprinting to determine whether or not that was the gun used. Once it came back that that was the gun used, Curtis told his side of the story. He said that he was drinking with Randy and Josh at Josh's trailer on October 2nd. The night was nothing out of the ordinary. They were just drinking and Heather joined them in the trailer and after having consensual sex, she passed out. They were worried that when she woke up, she would accuse them of rape. So they dressed her and put her in the pickup truck. 
He said that Randy shot Heather nine times, once in the head and eight times in the back. And they all threw her body in the creek. And then he just stopped talking. He wouldn't cooperate anymore. Now, Josh, he refused to admit that he was part of Heather's murder. And he invoked his right to plead the fifth and refused to take a polygraph test. Then his family hired a bunch of high-profile lawyers to defend him. Now, Randy was the only one cooperating, and he gave them a written statement saying that he was a participant in the murder, and that Curtis was the one to shoot Heather, adding that Josh was a willing participant of the murder. And Randy also said that he didn't believe Curtis was going to kill Heather until they reached the bridge. And he took a polygraph test, and he passed that test. All three were charged with kidnapping Heather and denied bail in Oklahoma. And they were all to be charged with first-degree murder in Montague County, Texas. And because of the law in Texas, all three would be tried as adults. And they're all under the age of 18, except Curtis, who I think was 19 at the time. So... We talked a little bit about Randy in the beginning, um, so we're going to do Josh and then Curtis, and then we're going to go back to Randy. So Curtis Gamble was a high school dropout, and he lived with his grandmother. She enjoyed fishing at the Belknap Creek, and she always took Curtis there as a kid. Curtis once took an unloaded gun to school and was sent to juvenile and then started doing drugs. He was also sent to juvenile again for threatening to kill teachers. There were rumors saying that he liked to shoot other people's livestock as a sport. He escaped from juvenile facility many times. He did meth, and he would make boys fight each other, and if they didn't, they would have to fight Curtis himself. He was sent to a psychiatric hospital, and I'm not sure how Curtis and Josh met, but they did enjoy drinking, camping, fishing, and they love guns. As they continued investigating, they found out that Curtis had this, quote, ultimate fantasy, where he would kidnap a girl, rape her, and, quote, blow her head off. Curtis's grandmother talked about the time she learned that Heather was dead. She said, quote, they found that missing girl from Warika. They found her floating in the Belknap Creek, end quote. And Curtis responded by saying, quote, Grandma, I don't give an F about that little girl, end quote. So Josh, Josh, his parents were the wealthiest landowners in Oklahoma, um, but his parents worked a lot, so he lived with his grandmother. He himself owned six cars, that's how rich he was, and that's why his family got a bunch of high-profile lawyers to defend him. He was described as snobby and different from his friends because he was, he was rich. So I talked a little bit about Randy and how he ended things with Heather because she was skip, skinny dipping at a pool party. Well, yeah, obviously, pool party. <laughs> but they still remain good friends. They had an intimate relationship, but they never had sexual intercourse. And, you know, you can be in an intimate relationship, you know, do things together without ever having sex. You know, then again, no one ever thought that they were dating. 
and one week after Heather's body was found, Randy was crowned the homecoming king of Warika High School, and a lot of people say that Heather would have 100% been homecoming queen. Curtis's side of the story, since Josh stopped talking and we already went through Randy's account, there's only Curtis left, and he said that he didn't know her, but she snuck out and had a date with Josh. While Curtis and Randy left the trailer, Josh got Heather drunk. Josh had sex with her, and he said, quote, When me and Randy got back, she was hammered. She was kissing on us. Me and Woody was going to get a piece, but she passed out. When she woke up, she was crying and screaming. Then she passed out again. Josh started freaking out. Josh said he didn't want to go down for raping Heather, end quote. He said that Randy was anxious about the rape charges as well. So Randy carried her to the pickup truck and drove to Belknap Creek Bridge. Curtis claims that Woody shot her. He said, quote, Woody said, throw her ass over, end quote. And they all grabbed her and threw her in the creek. So Curtis was brought to trial on October 15th, 1997, and his trial took place in Fort Worth, Texas. Curtis accepted a plea bargain offered by the district attorney, Tim Cole. He agreed to plead guilty to Heather's murder, admitting to be the one who physically took her life in exchange for the prosecution not to seek the death penalty. And Curtis was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 30 years. And part of his plea bargain, he agreed to testify against Josh in his trial. So Josh's trial started February 1998. So before the trial, he said that he had nothing to do with any of it. He claimed that he had consensual sex with Heather in the trailer when she was drunk. And we all know if you're drunk, that is not consensual sex at all. Josh said that he thought they were just driving around Heather around. They're just driving Heather around to get her sober up before she went back home. He said that he was unaware of the plan to murder her. At Josh's trial, Curtis was supposed to testify against Josh. And then he completely changed his story to the first one when he was first arrested saying that Josh had no role in the murder and it was Randy who killed her. Randy was set to testify because of his plea deal, but he changed his mind and said he didn't want to do a plea, de plea deal anymore. He just wanted to testify against them. He said, quote, I want everyone to know I was telling the truth. I owed that to Heather and her family, end quote. Randy testified, saying that Josh was in the trailer when the plan came along to shoot Heather. He carried her from the, from the pickup truck to the bridge and weighed her body down with a rock, then throwing her in the creek. Gail, Heather's mom, says, quote, I look in Randy's eyes and I know he was sincere. I wanted to reach out to him and thank him for his honesty, end quote. Josh then testified. The DA knew it was a scripted thing that he was going off of just by the way he sounded. He went over it multiple times. Josh said that he didn't know about the plan to murder Heather, and it was Randy who killed her. He was peeing near the bridge when he heard gunshots, and he ran back to see what happened. He then said, quote, I see Curtis. No, I mean, I see Randy lowering the gun, end quote. He 
basically just told the truth that it was Curtis that killed Heather. He had this script saying that it was Randy, it was Randy, it was Randy. But he slipped up and he said that it was Curtis. And the jury found Josh guilty of capital murder with an automatic life sentence and conspiracy to commit murder to which he got 99 years for Randy would stand trial and found guilty of capital murder. He is currently serving a life sentence and will be eligible for parole in 2036 when he is 57 years old. The DA says he is proud of the victory. You know, he's proud of giving Heather the justice she deserves and giving the family justice as well. And a lot of people feel sorry for Randy because from the beginning... He was the only one cooperating. He was the only one to pass a polygraph test, and he always told the truth. And you could tell that he was genuinely sorry for the way things turned out. The DA says, quote, I don't feel very good about Randy Wood being in prison for the rest of his life. I tried every way in the world to get him to plead guilty, but he would not take the plea. I'm sure there was some self-interest in his decision. He wanted people to know he didn't kill Heather, but I will forever believe it's because he has a conscience. End quote. Gail also has the same opinion as the DA about Randy. She says that he has this bittersweet smile that you won't forget, and he is redeemed in her eyes. She says, quote, Heather laid in that creek for eight days and didn't tell me, so he must be punished, but a lifetime is too much for Randy. End quote. In 2016, Randy married a New Zealand woman. She moved to Texas to be closer to him and to start a campaign in Texas saying that if you're under 18, you can't be tried as an adult. All three are currently in different prisons in Texas. Curtis Gamble is currently incarcerated at the John M. Wynn Unit in northern Huntsville, Josh Bagwell is incarcerated at the Barry Telford Unit in New Boston, and Randy Wood is incarcerated at the James V. Alred Unit in Wichita Falls. But the story doesn't end there. Curtis was moved from Texas State Prison to Montague County Jail to be tried for conspiracy to commit murder. He was convicted and given a life sentence without the possibility of parole. So Randy is the only one not serving a life sentence, and like I mentioned, he is the only one eligible for parole, which is 2036. And on January 28th, 2002, Curtis and Josh escaped from the Montague County Jail with two other inmates. They took a guard hostage with a homemade knife, forcing the other guard on duty to open the outside gate. They went to the Red River, and then they were pretty much unseen for more than a week. They stayed in hunting cabins, stealing a truck and a 22 caliber gun from Curtis's friend's dad. People learned about the escape and loaded their guns, you know, and stayed indoors. And it's Texas. People in Texas love their guns and they weren't playing about these to escape criminals. What do you, what do you call them? Escapees or just escape criminals? I don't know. That's a great question. But 
Nine days later, Curtis and Josh were surrounded by officers at a convenience store in Ardmore, Oklahoma, and surrendered after six hours of negotiating with the FBI. When Curtis was being arrested, he looked at the officer with a cocky smile and said, quote, I'll be seeing you again, end quote. Several weeks later, they discovered that Josh's mother had slipped Curtis and Josh hacksaw blades in two Bibles and was arrested. And at the time, she was awaiting trial. I'm not sure what happened to her, if she's still in prison or not. So, Josh's mom literally helped them again. Crazy. Randy has tried to put distance between himself and the boy he was that night on Belknap Creek. While his co-defendants were classified as Texas' most ill-behaved inmates even before the jailbreak, Randy had a spotless record and everyone respected Randy, even more when he told the truth right away. He now works on the prison garden crew, digging flower beds and pruning shrubs. He says, quote, Heather is the first thing I think of in the morning and the last thing at night. I punish myself worse than anything in this prison ever could. End quote. Gail and Duane divorce after the murder. She says the pain of the memory was too great. Both have moved away from Warika and the bridge at Belknap Creek. Duane passed away in 2014, and a year later, 2015, Gail passed away from cancer. Heather would have turned 41 years old this year. You know, and all Heather wanted to do that night was hang out with her friends, and those people are the reason that her life ended so young. I truly believe that Randy is remorseful, and... You know, he, he was the only one telling the truth, and that will be the closest we ever get to knowing what happened that night. I think Randy is a genuine person. I hate that he didn't do anything to stop them from killing Heather, but he did say that he was scared of Curtis, and if he helped Heather, maybe Curtis would have killed the both of them. Do I think they should be tried as adults? Yes, I 100% think they should. You know, you murder someone, you take someone's life you should pay that price and it's by going to jail it's really a, a tragic story and it breaks my heart because none of this should have happened and it didn't have to happen it could have been prevented um when i was researching this i was crying a little bit i don't know if my voice has changed well but i feel like it is getting a little uh weary um yeah it, ugh, oh, my eyes are like welling up with tears. Um, I'm at peace with knowing that Heather and both her parents are, you know, up in heaven together. Um, and yeah, it is, it is a tragic story. But let me know what you guys think. Do you think, who do you think killed Heather? Do you think it was Curtis? Even though he said he had this ultimate fantasy to kidnap a girl, rape her, and blow her head off. Do you think it was Josh or do you think it was Randy? And also, do you think Randy is a genuine person? Because from the very beginning, he told them every single detail. He said he was the one to digitally penetrate her, you know, and he didn't have to say that, you know. So 
let me know what you guys think. So that is the end of today's story. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for next week's episode that comes out every Thursday. You can follow my Instagram at criminalcuriositypod where you can see the pictures of the case behind the scenes or just to keep up with what's going on. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. I just burped. Ew. (laughs) But it's available on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. If you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review because that would mean the absolute planet Earth to me. And please be safe out there. Look out for one another. Until next time. Bye, everyone.